You join me for another Bedford Blues Away Trip podcast. Uh, I'm very pleased to have with me uh, for this instalment a man who has played uh, just over 90 times for the Blues. Did you, did you know that? Did you know that at all? No, I thought it was around 80, 85. I didn't know it was over 90. <laughs> and you can guess from his voice already. It is the uh, indomitable Ian Vass. Ian, welcome to the Away Trip. Um, it's very good to have you here. Well, thank you very much. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit of music, we're going to talk about a little bit of your career and uh, where you've been and, and what, you've, uh, what you've been through, as it were. Um, on the music front, you grimaced then when I talked about it. Um, are you a good mu- music lover? Do you, do you pay heed to her? Do you, are you often found sort of listening or is it something you can uh, give and take? No. Um... I've never bought a CD, I don't own a CD player, I don't have an iPod, I'm really not that interested in music, um, tone deaf, no talent for it at all, so it sort of passed me by, and also when I was younger I was tormented with Kylie and Jason, Madonna by my sisters, so that probably didn't help. That's probably a bad start to any musical career I would have thought, definitely. Um, so choosing three songs was probably something that you found a little bit more difficult than most, yeah? Yes, it raised a few last when I said I'd do it. Um, and the songs I did choose were probably just from memories more than um, or memories they brought as opposed to the actual song. Well, we'll get on to that in due course. Uh, you've had a, uh, a very strong career to date, um, one that's taken you um, uh, to, a, to a few different clubs. Um, when I take you all the way back to how it all started, what's your first rugby memory, if you like? Where do you, where do you remember first sort of playing rugby? Um, my first rugby memory was really going with my dad to watch him play, or not so watch him play, but mess around with the other kids on the sideline and go off and do things. We'd have a free afternoon doing that. And um, from there, really, the, the team he was with, the men's own in Northampton, was um, they didn't really have a youth section or anything like that. Although they tried, it didn't really work out. So we ended up, a few of my friends from, from the club and the kids from that men's own club went to end up being the old scouts, the main rivals, really, one of their main rivals in the town because they had a strong uh, youth section so um, and then from there I just stayed with them all the way through to under 16s and when can you pinpoint a moment where you started to really think that rugby was something you got a lot out of and really enjoyed playing no not really it was just it just a progression a natural progression really both mum and dad played sport um, I wouldn't watch mum play hockey so I played hockey as well um always done sport and it was it wasn't something I thought well I'm going to be choose rugby and be good at that it was just I just did it and it just happened that I was you know better than some of the other kids was it a tough choice was was sport something that came easily to you across the board or was rugby stand out all the time no I played a lot of things when I was younger I just went through um, football to play reasonable level at that played hockey to a reasonable level and then rugby but then as you get older the, the equipment and the training equipment all sort of clashed so I'd end up playing a game of rugby on Saturday morning, hockey in the afternoon. I mean, rugby Sunday morning, two games hockey in the after Sunday afternoon. It all got a bit too much, and then by the time we got to the 16s, when you're just a little bit older and uh, sort of growing into your body, you know, I was almost burning myself out. That then I felt I could feel myself getting tired just from jogging around, really. So I had, to, had to, something had to go, and it was the other sports and rugby came through. At what age did Northampton Saints come onto the scene for you? Um, Around, I was 16, just in GCs and that, and I represented England 16s at A, 
and uh, they just said to come down to at, at that point they had an under 17 team under 19 team and under 21 team and just went in had one game for 17s uh, then went straight to the 19s and played with them from 16, 17 and I uh, went through from there really um, it, was, it wasn't in those days it wasn't all come down to join us it was at the beginning of pre-season it was probably 40, 50 kids and by the end of pre-season because it was quite hard there was probably 20, 25 well more than 20 25 kids to 30 kids who were left you know who wanted to do it uh, that era must have produced some good names. You must have come through the ranks with some some notable notable people. Yeah, um, well, you know, especially by the time we got to the twenty ones, been playing twenty ones with Steve Thompson, Ben Cohen, and because um, obviously being two or three years younger than them, they were just coming to the end of the twenty ones, and there was a few people like that, and, and people who've gone on to play for Scotland, um, John Steele played for Scotland. And um, a couple of others that just that went on to further things because of, I think the academy system then I think bred some better players because you you could play every week in the under twenty ones. There was a league at that point, under twenty ones league, um, and the level was really good. And now that sort of filtered down into the you know the second team league and the under twenty one players playing that, and they don't really get the same chances to play in front of the coaches that they do now. Sorry, play in front of the coaches that they did then. You um, you spent a good amount of time at, at Saints and, and, and worked your way through. Can you describe that sort of period of your life? Was it about sort of that first team attainment? Was it all, all eyes on that prize? Yeah, it was at, at the time that it just come fresh about two two years, a bit more than that, maybe three years. They were just doing getting, getting on their feet, sorting themselves out with an academy system, and I think we were the second year of the academy at the Saints, and um, yeah. We were integrated with the first team straight away, really. We put straight in there at 18 um, to train with them all the time, full-time. So it it was always been touching distance. You were training with the, with the right people, and it was just about getting the break, really. And that normally, to be honest, came through injury to someone else, you know, as is the way, probably. Um, and I managed to get my first start when I was just 18, two months into doing it, um, in Heineken Cup. So... Um, that really must have been a baptism of fire. Heineken Cup at 18 years old. Can yeah. you can you remember that much about the game? Yeah, I remember it was against Neath at home. And um, as you say, it was a bit of the deep end. I think I'd only played two or three second team games before that. And then our team at the time had uh, Pat Laminate, Tim Robber, Paul Grayson, Nick Beale, um, Alan Bateman, all, you know, five or six British Lions. So... Um, as you say, it, so it was not a difficult team to slip into, sort of thing. And you know, hopefully, I, I did okay. I, I remember I, I made one break off the end of the line out, um, which in those days I used to be able to do. And uh, and a, a, bit, a couple of people went for the corner. And I think it was Shane Williams tackled me onto my back in the corner, which it would have been a good try, but you know, <laughs> maybe that's a story. <laughs> so close yet so far, I think. Um, but no, it went pretty well, and then stayed in the team for the week after, even though someone else was fit, so I must have done all right. It, you mentioned names there, and you know the coaching setup wasn't wasn't too bad either. It must have been uh, a really um, incredible grounding for a, for a young player coming through. Yeah, well, it's just the standards that the that the people had um, during training and stuff, and for the game that you just noticed straight away. Um, it just things weren't acceptable, like a bad pass or. A, a bad kick in training was, was jumped upon straight away and was just told, well, that's not good enough, you get it thrown back at you. <laughs> you know, so it was, 
actual training was nerve wracking more than anything else. Not you know, not even talking about the game. You know, training these with these lads was um, was was just sometimes as good as game experience. You um, we <coughs> hold on a second. Let me just see where we are on the on the timing. And let's talk about music, if we must. Um, what piece of music have you chosen first? Uh, the first piece of music was for, not necessarily because I liked it. Like I think it's more for the fact that it's a memory it brings. When we were younger, um, in the academy, that first year or two, we had quite a tight knit group, and we used to meet round one of the lads' houses. And always, for the last song before we put on before we went out was um, "Dancing in the Moonlight" um, by Top Loader. We get it almost every night When that moon is big and bright It's a supernatural delight Everybody's dancing in the Did you think that you would have to, at some point, move on and, 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 and take other opportunities? How, how, how did that come about? Um, well, as I said, I've been at Saints probably f- I've been at Saints five years, and um, Matt Dawson was there, and went to Wayne Smith as coach. So, obviously, first ter- first team starts with limited, um, and. That year they were bringing Mark Robinson from New Zealand, who, who was capped by the All Blacks and was an outstanding player and is an outstanding player. So, Brain Smith basically was just honest and said, "Look, you know we've got two international scrum halves. They are going to be our first two scrum halves. We want you to play rugby. We think you can go somewhere. But for now, it's not going to be here." And um, and he was really helpful in trying to find me clubs where I'd get the opportunities that um, he wanted me to have, really. He, you know, he, he thought I could be a good player, but it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't in that year or two that he wanted, that he, you know, that he thought I could do it. I've got written down, or I found amongst the web, that you had a little bit of a spell at Exeter. Is that, is that true? Um, yeah, I, I went down for one game and got on for ten minutes. <laughs> and uh, we drew ten all or something. No, no 23 all with Birmingham Solihull. Oh, right. Um, well, I remember that game actually. I remember that game. Yeah. It was quite a result yeah. for Birmingham, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and um, I just I just went back to and said, "Look, it's not worth it. I'd rather just try and fight for a place and do that." Um, so that was the end of that, really. So ten <laughs> minutes was my loan spell. 
Well, there we go. Ten, uh, an extra chief for ten minutes. Well, I about, I'm sure that's about all you could take, wasn't it? Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing about it was, I mean, it was a. At the time, they were still semi-professional, if that really. And um, I remember after training, the, one of the lads would come in with a massive tray of pasties, the biggest pasties you've ever seen. That was the only pleasing aspect, I think, of the 300-mile round trip or something that, that I did that, that week. Um, one name looms large on, on your CV, as it were, and this move came about to Stade Francais. Um, a move to France has become a lot more in vogue nowadays. Talk about how it came about for you, um, whatever it is, sort of seven or eight years ago, is it now? No, six, seven years ago? I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as I said when about leaving Saints, Wayne Smith was really positive with me and he was... Um, and for whatever reason, he had a, a lunch with Nick Mallet, who was then coach at Stad. And um, he, he must have said to him, you know, I've got this lad here who needs developing. You know, um, we can't do it at the minute, but, you know, what do you think about taking him to Stad? And, and Nick Mallet was like, OK, well, send me some videos and we'll you know, see, what, see, what, see what we can do. So um, that's basically it. I sent the videos across, got the phone call, went and met uh, Nick Mallet and Max... Um, Grazzini, the owner for lunch in Paris one day, went across on the um, Eurostar met them for lunch, talked about it and yeah, that was it really um, offered me the contract the day after and signed it so. That's a big club to sign a contract with what were your, what were your thoughts, what were your, your feelings, I mean, don't they play in pink? <laughs> they did, actually they didn't at the time it was, they played in uh, the normal blue and then they had a white strip which at the time was probably still quite um, over the top so um, yeah they were a big club and I had a, had a choice of no, I, I was close to going to Saracens at the same time I had an offer from them to go and it was a toss up really and um, having spoke to a few of the people there I think everyone decided not everyone, I decided but everyone was sort of thought that the stad would be the way to go as you said for the size of the club for the experience and for the life experience as well Talk about French rugby. You, you had a year over there. Can you encapsulate it, French rugby, and, and playing in their league, their top 14 league? Um, yeah, it's not so much different. The, the mentality is, because of, they've always had playoffs, that the mentality is that the away games are not so important. So you, you still see it now. They, they change a lot of the teams. Um, obviously, they're able to do that more because the squads are bigger. Um, and yeah, they just you know they're just slightly a little, a little bit mental, but they are but they are a little bit they're relaxed all the way up to the game. Then the ten minutes before they seem to lose it. Um, whereas we're probably not, we're a little bit the other way around. We concentrate and work hard all week, and then tend to be a bit more relaxed before kickoff. Any characters from your Stade Francais year that, that stand out? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we've all heard the stories. Um, so there are some characters. It was a sometimes a strange environment um, you're, never, you're never quite sure about some people within the team uh, you think of yourself what that might mean um, <laughs> you're being very coy at the moment you're not going to name names or dob anyone in no no there, <laughs> there was, but there was plenty of extra, extracurricular activity I think from um, from some fairly famous French players at the time that you just, you just won't get away with in, the, in any other club really or, or the real world um, so I think I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Tantalising. Uh, and I'll ask you off, off mic. Um, uh, how, um, how about uh, 
coming back to the UK was it how did that come about and how, how did that sort of manifest itself if you like as as regards an option um, well Nick Maddock decided to leave the club um, we, although he had a year left on his contract and I had a year left and in France you can only register I think it's 30 players or 32 players for your league and so it got to late it was July when this happened and Fabien Gautier who played before at Stad, then got appointed coach. Um, anyway, he, he wanted to bring with him a scrum half who was here when he was here from um, Perpignan, I think it was called Jerome Filio or something. And um, anyway, all our hookers left apart from one, so we ended up having four scrum halves and one hooker within that 32. And well, I was basically the one to not lose out because I didn't, I didn't lose out um, in financial way, but you know. Um, it was just basically what he wanted from his squad. He wanted this this lad in, and um, Augustin Pichot was already there, so he had these, you know, the two his two main players again, and uh, I lost out again. So it was, you know, that was okay because then I let, had a late call to um, with Q actually, Matty Volland, and said, "Look, mate, I'm struggling for a club here. What can I do?" And he was like, "Well, we'll see what they say at Bedford," and that was that really. Came and saw Rudy, and within two days of coming back, I was had a club. What was your appreciation of Bedford before before you arrived? Obviously, having been a Northampton Saints player, you would have been very much aware of the club. I mean, we were a strong East Midlands rugby belt, if you like, uh, running down here. You'll all be aware of the club. But what were your what were your thoughts when when Q mentioned that? Um, to be honest, I had no preconception of what Bedford was or how, or how they were. It was more the opportunity I wanted. I'd been on the bench for quite a long time. <laughs> you know, a good. Uh, five, six years of um, sitting on the bench with people and I just wanted to play some rugby and um, what made it easier for me was my family from Northampton I had a house in Northampton I could move into straight away um, and also I knew people I knew Ali Heath, Don Malone Matty Stewart, Q um, JP, Craig Moyer Matt Allen so it, it was a fairly easy fit for me um, and it, although there was a danger of being too comfortable you know, because I played near enough every week it, you know, I felt I was getting somewhere uh, you know, eventually. Let's have a look at your second song. Uh, what have you chosen? Um, I've gone with Cigarettes and Alcohol by Oasis. Um, again, not necessarily for the song, but because I remember when we were younger and you're just making your first strides into uh, drinking cider down the park. I mean, my friend was a big Oasis fan, he used to play it. <laughs> um, so it just brings up memories of that, really. You um, 
you joined Bedford and, and games you did play. 29 uh, in one season. It must have been almost like a breath of fresh air to, to get going and get week in, week out rugby. Yeah, it was, and um, it enabled me to get probably match fit, which I've probably not been since I'd injured my leg when I was younger, because I'd always been on and off, playing or not playing, or thrown in, into a game after not playing for four or five weeks. And um, yeah, it enabled me to get that, and I think you, you get into uh, you get your match fitness, and then you just get match sharp as well, which you, which is massive, really. Um, being able to see opportunities and, and see them before they're there sometimes, which you just don't do if you. Rusty, <laughs> you just don't do it. So um, it just gave me a, an opportunity to play in the shop window, which it's still doing, I think, for other people. You you played a lot. Um, a, a friend of mine once remarked that during that season, 2000, 2005, 2004, 2005, uh, the problem was that you were our best nine and arguably our best ten uh, on occasion as well. Um, it was a great season. We got to Twickenham, and uh, you must have really felt as though it was the springboard you you needed and you wanted and, and you got. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've always been uh, played different positions, been able to cover different positions, and um, like I said, Ali was here, but he would, he was struggling with me a little bit and throughout the year. Um, so quite often during near the end of the game for the last fifteen twenty minutes, I'd be put to ten and. I enjoyed them, and by that time the game sort of lost shape and it was quite open, which is a bit more my forte than maybe than the structured stuff. So, um, yeah, I didn't mind that. And the, like you say, the shot window aspect was just really what I needed. And the twenty nine games was probably more than I played in the previous, you know, three seasons. So, you know, that was um, that was another pleasing aspect of it. Queens came knocking. Um, talk about that as a London club. You played under a certain Dean Richards. Can you sort of put into words? I mean, he's now. Uh, you know, with subsequent events, uh, you know, sort of, he, he's had his card marked, but there's no doubt that he was a, a real master of his art. Yeah, well, it's a little bit maybe a bit misunderstood about what he actually d- d- did for the club. It, it, very little coaching. Um, he'd have the odd word here and there on the coaching pitch, but sometimes he didn't even come out for a week or two weeks, and they left it to everyone else. He's, I think his forte was the organisational stuff. Um, also play recruitment stuff, getting the right people in. Um, I would say that one. <laughs> I haven't done that. Uh, but, uh, but you know what I mean. Uh, and and you know, getting people to stay as well, because a lot of people could have left when Harlequins went down. Um, so I think, and, it, and he was a big name, and people respected him, so they started to respect Harlequins a little bit more. And I think the first season they got up, that showed, and the way they played showed that the people, the players... Um, Respect him and played for him, he, even though he wasn't a massive influence on the training pitch. He was always there, like the big, you know, the big sort of the daddy figure, if you know what I mean. That you could go and speak to him, no problems, and he had no no qualms about speaking to you on certain aspects either. And um, he, it was difficult to read, but in in a good way, not in a bad way. Uh, Quinn spent a, a year in the championship uh, and then sort of catapulted back up a couple of teams Northampton as well did this and they seem to have benefited if you like they seem to have gone up stronger into the premiership from being in the championship uh, describe what it was like being part of uh, a team on, on two occasions that has, that has come down and had to rebuild if you like and, and, and sort of go up stronger yeah. um, I think the main thing is to make makes the teams and the whole club as look in the mirror and go well something's obviously gone wrong what is it how can we change it um, so off the field they tend to get their act together um, 
go back to basics, try to rebuild their fan base, which I think both teams did well. Um, improve stadia things like that so when they do we go back up they're in a better position to stay up but on the playing front I think it's just it's the confidence of um, winning and being teams and getting in the groove and you know what to do under, under pressure also a lot of younger players had the chance to play uh, 10, 15, 20 first team games with the first team because your squad's a bit smaller as you go down and so all that experience gained um, then puts you back into the premiership you know, on the front foot, and you, whereas on, when you're going down the league in the Premiership, you're always trying to find three, four points. You know, miss kick here, miss kick there, screws you over. But in in the in the National One, especially from the top teams, um, you can be a bit more ambitious. So you don't necessarily have to kick every point because you you have the certain sort of player who could score a try from anywhere, and that often got us out of scrapes. But as a team, you grew and you got a shape to playing, and like Exeter have done this year. They just they just believed in themselves more because they because they'd done it for two or three years in the in the championship, and you can see that they use the same sort of players as did Northampton and Harlequins. You went via Quins back to Saints for a while, and then the opportunity to come back to to, to Bedford uh, arose again. Uh, talk us through your your thought processes uh, about returning to to, to a club. What Northampton first, sorry. Both. <laughs> Someone must like those clubs. Um, well, I think it was mainly because having experience in first time, I knew what I was going into, for one. It, it was familiar, which is nice, always nice. Um, and I had no qualms about it because I, I enjoyed it first time around at both clubs, and then hopefully that would apply for the second time around. But then you also knew what I was getting and especially for Bedford second time around it fitted in to where I was in more so in my career where maybe I want something different out of Bedford this time than I did first time around um, which is true Going when I went back to Northampton I was hoping um, to then springboard up again to play at high level um, for whatever reason I didn't work out but I think each time you change club it's never well, for me, it was never. Really, it's not money. It's not anything else. It's just trying to further yourself until, um, at some point, at some point, instead of you trying to fit to the club, you need a club that fits you. And um, same time, I went to bed for that. That's exactly what that was, and that's why I'm enjoying it so much. Yeah, and hopefully, we'll play ninety odd times. <laughs> hopefully, approaching that hundred mark, definitely. Um, uh, the influence of Mike Rayer. He he was one person that, that sort of was was in, well. He was the person who was in charge when when you agreed to come back and. He also must have been responsible for talking you into this positional change as well, into 12. Yeah. Talk about that discussion and, and what you thought about, about that move, because it's not... People who perhaps don't understand rugby as, as much as others will, will not perhaps understand the, 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 the sort of change there. It is quite a big change from 9 to 12. Yeah, well, it wasn't as um, long of a discussion as you might think. <laughs> he said, uh, mm, well, we'd love to play you, because Dicko's here at the time, obviously a good player, so... He was like, look, we look, try and play you at 10 or 12, you're right at that. I was like, yeah, no bother. And that was pretty much going to drive it. And I was quite happy to do that because I obviously I'd played nine, played, played 10, 15, had played centre before. And um, I just thought, why not? You know, I've been playing nine. I've sort of played there for a few different teams. And um, it was just a different challenge, really. And I, just, I really enjoy it. And um, I feel like I can... 
help the team better from 12 than maybe 9 because, for one, you're not blowing so hard so you can actually talk. But um, but also, you know, you can. I think you have a bit more influence on what, how the game's played from 12 than you can from 9 where you, really your, your job's to get everyone else involved in the game and keep moving the ball and stuff like that. But at 12, you can take a step back a little bit and um, maybe guide, guide the team around a bit more. What's your third song? We're going to put you out of your musical misery. Mm-hmm. Come on, well, what have you what have you got third third up for us? Well, third one is the only song I ever sing on karaoke, which is "Love Me Do" by the Beatles. Basically, because it's pretty easy to sing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's why I've gone with that one. Do you much karaoke? No, not very often. But when I do, I sing "Love Me Do." <laughs> Sanity at 12, you've stuck yourself in front of some very large objects down that channel. Um, is that something that you, you've always liked about the game, the sort of physicality? I mean, it's not, it's not something that you often talk to a back about, but it seems quite appropriate to kind of talk to you because, especially over the last couple of seasons, you, you really have, um, forgive, the, forgive the, sort of, uh, the sort of pun, but you've kind of stood up down that channel. Um, yeah, well, when you play nine, you, you rarely get a head-on tackle, someone's made a break, it's a scrag or um, you're chasing, chasing across the pitch to, to tackle a 10 off a scrum or something like that, you, you rarely get any of the, the actual physical confrontation, it's, it's mainly covering someone else's ass really um, so it wasn't that much into my game and I think maybe I could have had it more when I was playing 9 to be honest with you and it might have been better said because I've always been a, a reasonable side um, so no, I, now I just enjoy it, I think I think why do people just run straight at you? I don't get it. Um, so you never see me run straight into anybody. I don't think I don't understand why people do it. So if they're going, people run straight at you. I think they just line, they're just lined up really, and it's. And I think as well, she and Mike might tell you, my leg tackling is probably not the best. So I tend to use myself as quite quite a big speed bump nowadays. But no, I do I do enjoy it, and I think it's. Um, some teams are very predictable in the way they play, and so you can read the play, and so sometimes. If you read that play, you're able to make a more effective tackle. And um, hopefully I do that most of the time. Obviously, it doesn't come off all the time. And you get palmed and, you know, you get the video analysis and then, yeah, you should go low, I know. <laughs> but um, hopefully that's not too often. Describe the, the last couple of seasons. I mean, there's been something pretty special brewing, as it were. We've, we've, we've played some, some really good rugby at times. Describe how you find this rugby club at the moment. I think if you were... If you're a young player trying to play like I was a few years back, 
Will Harry's um, Billy Twelvetrees the lads from Saracens now just be the ideal club because there's no there is pressure but the pressure's on us to pl- on us to perform and play well and on yourself because like I said before it, it is a shot window and a lot of the pressure's on the individuals because they want to go further and not on the team to, to grow up a league and so everyone's striving in an individual way to play at a high level but in a way that all comes around to do that you have to work as a team so if a team's playing really well then the individual then steps up and the way we play compared to other teams I mean I think it enables everybody to do that and if if you drop the ball you drop the ball but it's not it's not moaned about you just get on and you get up and make the tackle and win the ball back and people work for each other to do that and having that freedom um, to do it as I said before We'll give people opportunities year in, year out, and if we can attract, and we do attract the sort of players who want to play up a level, then we're always going to be in the top three or four. And with Mike, that's even more evident. And this year, I think we've been especially lucky with um, the depth we've got, and the, the signs that have come in have just allowed the team to rotate round almost effortlessly, and the results keep coming, even though sometimes we make six or seven chases, and that's really positive. Maybe a two years or three years ago. We probably had 18 or 19 players who could play. Well, that's a lot of games when you're playing 35 games. And maybe at the end of last year we got a bit unstuck against Exeter and we were dog-tired and clinging on with bits of tape. And they were fresh as daisies playing through us and it felt like that in the game, to be honest. And um, I think this year especially that might not be the case because everyone's getting a chance. No one's, no one's um, missing out. And even if you do have a bad game, which does happen... Um, you know in three or four games time you're going to get another chance because while everyone's fit um, you can that chance Mike's going to give someone else another chance that chance comes back round because we have now the squad depth to do it and um, I think that's the main re- reason we're pushing so hard this year um, now we've been lucky obviously with the league games the top four being at home but I think having people watch them no one would say that they're not winnable away so um, there's no reason why we can't go even further in the league than we are at the minute the next part of the away trip is to say not only with your overused iPod that you've obviously got that you cling to with dear life he says sarcastically <laughs> um, the other part is is perhaps a book that you would take on an away trip uh, this was a bit of a t- tougher question for you. you 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 enjoy your books yeah I read a lot of books I read, I read every night so I get through a fair few books and a fair few different types of books so to actually pinpoint one is quite difficult but so in 10.1 I tend to go for something like the, the factional books that are out now the um, historical events that are real but they might you know um, elaborate a little bit with some characters and storylines to make and to bring them to life sort of thing and I, and I enjoy them because I feel like I'm learning as well as entertaining myself at the same time maybe I'm kidding myself I don't know um, but yeah so I like all those sort of books um, Especially like the the older ones, like the Emperor series, um, stuff about the Templar Knights. Well, I've read read that all the fictional books and also read all the facts on it as well. So I find that interesting, um, how that came about and um, the demise of them as well. So all those sort of things. I'm a bit of a history geek, so I tend to tend to like that aspect really, as opposed to like the new like horror, horror books or things like that and detective if, books if you had to take one book with you on, a, on an away trip say you were going all the way down to Cornwall or somewhere like that and 
Anyway, no one else in the team was, uh, was, was of interest to you. Oh, that's, a, that's a very good question, actually. Are you a good traveller? Do you travel well? Are you a good tourist, if you like? Yeah, well, to be honest with you, I don't like reading on the, on the thing, though. <laughs> so that screwed that question. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, yeah, well, I'm pretty, because I'm, I was pretty laid back, really, I don't mind anything. Sometimes when we go on those long trips, what I like is quizzes and questions and stuff like that. So the last couple of times down have Cornwall, I've organised... Uh, bus quiz, so I tend to it's fall on my shoulders somehow to do it, but I always get the job. Um, so I've organised quizzes for the bus, and everyone, everyone gets involved, and that takes a good two or three hours out of the trip. So I like I like questions, I like knowing things, and I tend to remember some various rubbish, you know, not facts, but answers to stuff like that, and trivial pursuits and things. So I'd rather entertain myself that way than maybe reading on the bus. But um, and I will watch a film, but I tend, my concentration span is pretty pretty. Uh, pretty small so I don't so I don't tend to watch too many of those films um, but to be honest on buses I'd probably read more like to read a magazine on the bus um, just ones I wouldn't, wouldn't read normally like an FHM or a load or something like that I'd never buy it unless I go on a bus so um, not just for the pictures either <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not going to go into it. It's, it's your answer, us. It's your trip. You can do what you like. Um, final question. This or, or final point. Uh, this this past season has seen a little bit of an emphasis shift. You you you've taken on a little bit of responsibility with the academy. Um, where do you think you sort of the, the, that points the, the future? Where where are you sort of plotting the next sort of three, four, five years? Um, I said I'm not very good at planning stuff really I let it sort of fall on my lap and hopefully it comes out the best which seems to work most of the time uh, but I, I, wanted, I needed to coach someone I've been coaching at um, the school I work at at the minute for the last two years and I said to my can I help out the academy or do something because I need to start coaching at a, a decent level and he said yeah no problem Get, got, so I got in touch with Dennis Dennis like brilliant come down help out and started made the odd session but now I'm, I've got into it and I'm quite keen so I, Mondays and Wednesdays down here with the lads and I really enjoy it because they get it and you, I like the level they're at because you can coach, they're all enough to coach them and hopefully coach them good skills and good practice but also that they're over the basic stuff um, which I'm a very impatient person I haven't got a lot of patience for so year seven rugby on a Friday afternoon is not what I'm after <laughs> um, although I have to do it um, you know I, I wanted to step get, get up to the right level so to learn how to coach really and um, it seems it's working really well hopefully from, for both of us um, the way the lads played the last couple of games for the academy have been spot on they've been awesome um, and there's some really good players coming through and hopefully I can help that but as for the future yes I'd like to coach and this is really the, probably the second stepping stone after coaching at school to, to doing that I'm hopefully doing my level three and this year get on that course I need to be coaching at a decent level for that so um Really, it's about stepping stones, and this is my second one, and I'm really enjoying it at the minute. Well, thank you very much for joining me on this away trip. No problem. I hope it hasn't been too arduous for you. No, not at all. It's been uh, it's been a joy watching you, uh, especially at Bedford Blues. Um, sort of do all of your do everything that you've done for the club, and um, I reckon it's about nine games until that hundredth cap. So uh, I hope we see you trotting out with that in mind this season. Well, uh, yeah, hopefully, well. Hopefully it um, won't be too long. <laughs> Just get nine more games in. Mind you, this season might take a while more. <laughs> Cheers, Rassi. Thanks ever so much. No problem. Thank you. Spot on, mate. Excellent. All right? Yeah, excellent. Excellent.